Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. All right, I want you to take your Bibles. If you have them, turn to Romans chapter 14. And if you don't have them, these verses are on the screen. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture and you're hearing then pray. In Romans 14, 17, the Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Kingdom Living is 3D Living. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the spirit, and I pray now by your spirit that you would strengthen me and anoint me to say the things that would honor you. God, I ask you to give us a supernatural ability to hear you today. Speak to us, God. We need you. And I ask you to be our guide by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Kingdom Living is 3D Living. Last week... I started talking to you about seeking the kingdom of God. We looked at that very familiar verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and started talking to you about that, and I told you at some point last week that as I look at the New Testament, I find that the kingdom of God is central to all of the Lord's teaching. He was constantly telling people the kingdom of God is like this the kingdom of God is like that a certain man had a kingdom and he came the Bible says preaching the kingdom of God is at hand and we looked last week and saw throughout scripture the dual concept of the kingdom of God the Bible presents the kingdom of God as two things at the same time number one a present reality and number two a future hope The present reality is so often overlooked when we talk about the kingdom of God. Most people think, when will God bring forth his kingdom? They're thinking about this part, the future hope that that we have that one glad morning when this life is over, we'll fly away. The, The future hope that we have that when the saints go marching in, that we're going to be in that number. The future hope that we have based on what Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again to receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So most people, when they think about the kingdom of God, they're thinking about in the sweet by and by. But the sweet by and by is fine, but the bigger reality is most of us need help in the nasty now and now. You can talk about things in the sweet by and by all you want to, but we live in very difficult times. We live in a difficult world, uh, and the reality is the kingdom of God is not just a future hope, but a present reality. Jesus said the kingdom is among you in one place. He also said the kingdom is within you, and he told us in that extremely popular verse, Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, that's on the note, should, shall be added unto you. We've seen that verse. Most people in the church have heard that verse, memorized that verse, learned songs to that verse. Listen, one of the greatest ways to memorize Scripture is through song. And I love uh, Scripture that are songs that are based on Scripture, and this verse has been sung about, talked about, and preached about. And we looked at it last week 
You can go online and listen to that message for free once it gets uploaded. Uh, all, all these sermons are for free online. Uh, I know people who, and I've had people tell me forever, you ought to charge. You're making all these other churches look bad. Churches charging $5, $10 a pop to download sermons. I said, I'm not trying to make anybody look bad. I'm just trying to make sure the truth gets out. We shouldn't put a charge on the truth. We don't charge anybody to come here. I've told y'all before, I've had preachers in the local area with churches, huge churches, tell, tell me that they're not doing one-tenth of what we're doing through food and clothing, and, and they thought they would, you know, encourage the little country preacher that doesn't know how to walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, Scott, if you gave that food away only to people who came on Sunday mornings after church, you would quadruple the size of your church overnight. I said, well, we're not giving away food to build the size of our church. We're giving away food to be a blessing to people who need food. And we're not going to put a charge on them. And so you can go online. You can read. You can listen to these sermons. Uh, check out this sermon on uh, Matthew 6, But we've been told to seek the kingdom of God. But it's hard to seek something you don't know what it is. If, if I told my sister right now to go in my office and get my little red Bible. She would be able to go in my office and get my little red Bible. If I told her to go in my office and get my wallet from the top drawer in my desk, she could go and get the wallet from the top drawer uh, in my desk. If I told her to go in my office and bring me my shaladu mahapadu, say that again. Shalaming Mahapadu. I said it different ways twice because you didn't understand it either way. But if I told her to go get my Shalaming Mahapadu, she could not get it. Some, some real genius in the room. Tell me why she couldn't get my Shalaming Mahapadu. Because she don't know what it is. How can you find something you don't know what you're looking for? I mean, God commands us to seek his kingdom first. This is priority. This is big time. But how can, how can you seek something if you don't know what it looks like, if you don't know what it is? So we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going to be taking a look at what it is today. We need to learn what the kingdom of God is because, as I've told you, it's central to teaching in the New Testament. Now, it's not, it's not something new that came after the Bible was written, people were seeking the kingdom of God when Jesus was walking on the planet. Listen to Luke 17, 20. One day, one, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? So they're already talking about the kingdom. This is lost people talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs. Now, I'm not going to break down every phrase, but I am going to remind you, the best way to understand the Bible is to pay attention to the punctuation. When you read scripture, pay attention to the punctuation. When there's a comma there, that should give you cause to pause. When there's a question mark, you should think what's being asked. When there's a period, you should think what's being said. When there's an exclamation point, you should think what's the urgency all about. But here we see one of the Pharisees asking Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come so they knew about the kingdom way back when they knew about the kingdom of God coming and Jesus said this the kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs okay so there's some stuff about the kingdom of God that's not visible some things that you can't see outwardly he went on in verse 21 to say 
you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is within you. So this is where Jesus says the kingdom of God is designed to be, in some capacities, internal. Now, the great thing about Jesus, do, do you realize how frustrating the words of God are to unsaved people? If you don't know how frustrating the word of God is to unsaved people, just start telling some of your lost family and friends why you do what you do or what the Bible says, and it will frustrate them because they don't get it. There are people in the room right now that wish that they could click better with God. And you know in your own mind, either all these people are faking it or you just don't get it the way they get it. See, that's by design. Lost people don't. The Bible says that the natural person receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. But think about the frustration Jesus must have caused people. Here comes this dude. He's like, yo, when's the kingdom of God showing up? He's like, nah, you ain't going to be able to see it. It's not visible signs. And uh, it's not over here. It's not over there. But make sure you seek it. If you told me to go seek out uh, Orlando, I could find Orlando. Uh, there's maps to get me there. But if you tell me, uh, it, well, you can't really see it all the time, and it's, it's something that's on the inside, and it doesn't have visible signs, I promise you this dude walked away scratching his head and thinking, I just don't get this Jesus dude, man. I was trying to come up. I was trying, I was trying to communicate with a brother. I was trying to ask him, you know, you're talking about this thing. Where is it? And he's just, you know, he's on his own thing. And listen, if you... Do not understand the things of God. Hear me good. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. The, the Bible says seek and you will find. But it's in an imperative continual tense. I like the way the New Living uh, translates that verse in, in Matthew 7. It says keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open. Keep asking uh, and you will receive. But a lot of people do what this Pharisee did. They're like, that don't make sense to me. I asked the man where it is. He said, you can't really see it. It's not here. It's not there. He's telling me to go find it, and he won't help me go find it. Forget the whole thing. And that's still how lost people react today. And that's how some uh, church people react today when things don't make sense to them. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. There are things by design in this life that you will never understand. And if you give up every time you don't understand something about God, you have lost before you got started. Coming to God is a by-faith movement. Coming to God says, in essence, I'm going to believe it just because God said it. Whether it makes sense to me, whether I understand it or not. And that's why I've been telling you for years, if you can't figure it out, what? Faith it out. Just decide, I'm going to believe that God knows what he's doing now he said it's not ushered in with visible signs uh, on, on my Orlando get if I decided to pack up and move to Orlando there would be visible signs of that my neighbors would see moving trucks and think oh he's moving Pe people would call my cell phone number and they'd get uh, and, and a message saying he don't live here no more but there would be visible signs of that. But if I decide to move today from natural living to kingdom living, and, oh, that's my, that's my hope for myself, that's my hope for you, your family, the people you care about, that you would move from a natural way of living 
to a kingdom way of living, there wouldn't necessarily be outward signs of that right off the bat. But if you kept watching, those signs would eventually manifest. And we'll talk about that as we get more time. Our text says in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you study the context there, people were having problems about a certain type of meat being offered, and people always want to know how much, how much can, a, can a Christian drink before, before God's mad at him. Stop wondering when God's mad at you and start trying to make the best choice. But they were always looking at it that way, and people still want to know, well, how, how much can a Christian drink? Uh, how, how many uh, horribly bad, horrific, God-hating violence uh, uh, showing uh, nudity, showing R-rated movies, can I go to a year without God kick? Listen, stop worrying about how much you can get away with and start choosing the better part. They were worrying about how much they could get away with back then, and that's why Paul told them, it, it's not about that. You're trying to make it about what type of food you eat. You're trying to make it about what type of beverage you consume. It's deeper than that. Say deeper. So many people in church today are boiling everything down about Christianity to the natural when God wants us to see the supernatural. It's not about whether, whether or not you wear a dress to church or a suit to church. Uh, I told you, come wearing whatever you want to, just don't come naked. Create a scene. We'd end up on the news. And listen, these kids got cell phones in their pockets. They would be taking some screenshots. They'd be taking some pictures and putting them on social media. But people, people still in this day and age, they, they're, they're churches that if you don't wear the right clothes to church, they'll look at you like you've lost your mind. It's not, if you don't drive the right way, people look at all these natural things. But the Bible tells us it is deeper than that. Say it again because I want you to get it. Say deeper. Uh, so God gives us this beautiful verse uh, in Romans 14, 17 in a comprehensive division of 3D living. Uh, The title of the message is that the kingdom living is 3D living, and we see that if you want to be who God wants you to be, you have to seek his kingdom. I want you to understand kingdom living is living life on three different dimensions. It's a 3D life. The first dimension we see in this verse is righteousness, and the second dimension is peace, and the third dimension is is joy in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's not meat and drink. Those are things you see. Those are things you look at. I remember when Billy Graham came to uh, Jacksonville and did an outdoor stadium event. I don't remember what year it was. Um, It was a long time ago. But he came and did an outdoor stadium event. And after the event that night, he went to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. The only way... I know that, or anybody else would know that, is because the next day, people were bombing him, saying Billy Graham was sitting at a table with liquor on the table at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse after preaching the holy anointed word of God. And they, they were like, uh, they didn't mention how many people got saved that night. They didn't mention what it did for the city. They didn't mention any, any, any good things. They just, and it didn't even say it was in front of him. It just said it was on the table with him. What am I telling you? People judge Christianity on outward stuff. Remember what God said? 
uh, man looks on the outward, but God sees the heart. Not only does he see what we do, he knows the reasons why we do it. Now, you came to church today, and oh, I wish how we, we could get one of those, you know, like those bubbles that open up, and y'all used to read comic books. They have a little circle above the head of what uh, Archie and Jughead were saying, uh, and I wish a bubble could open up over your head right now, and it show me why you came today. Some came uh, because they loved God so much, they, they wanted to be here. Others had their own reasons. But people, all, I, all we can see from here is that you showed up. But God knows why you showed up. And, and it's like people that worked food and clothing yesterday. There were, there were lots of people, not enough. There's room for you. Come take a turn. Uh, showed up to work food and clothing yesterday. We can see the people that showed up to work but we, God sees the deeper meaning, the hidden heart behind the issue. And I want you to understand this, this three dimensions that we're talking about. Because the word says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. These are outward things, natural things, things that apply to everyone. The kingdom of God is not always the stuff you see on the outside. It's what's going on in the inside. And I wonder this morning, do you have anything spiritual going on on the inside of you? Do you feel God on the inside of you? Do, do you have a relationship with God that, you, that goes on outside of church? I've told you for years, if you read more Bible in church than you read out of church, you're spiritually malnourished. If you sing to God more in church than out of church, you're spiritually malnourished. Real Christianity is, is an intimate, personal relationship with God on the inside that is working mightily on the inside so much that eventually it changes some things on the outside as well. Let's think about this 3D living in light of our text, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I was there at the Carpenter's Home Church in Lakeland, Florida, in February of 1995 when Ron Canoli did a live album that was chart topping and he came out to this verse and he had his whole theme was very island theme and he came out dun, 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 and he sang the song righteousness peace joy in the holy ghost righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost that's the kingdom of god and great song by the way listen to him sing it he can sing i can't but a great way to memorize scripture and this verse is so often overlooked i was excited that ron cannoli who's done great things uh for uh, um, uh artists in the kingdom made this verse come alive to song and i want you to see these different dimensions of righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost to get something on the inside so you can start living and understanding what it is that god's called us to live and to understand so the first dimension is what the first dimension is righteousness, and this dimension deals with how we relate to God. Now, righteousness has been misunderstood by church folk, too, uh, and they just boil it down to cliches. They boil it down to simple little th things that rhyme. We don't smoke, and we don't chew, and we don't what? We don't go with girls that do. And now, it's funny. A woman was the one that finished that for me. Listen, there's more to being a Christian then we don't smoke and we don't chew. Uh, and if you go with a girl who do, 
I hope she's at least 70. I hope she's got a big front porch with a rocking chair and a nice spittoon. I mean, she's got to have something going for her. But it's beyond that. People think of church and they boil it down to, well, you know, those people, uh, you know, they're that holiness crowd. They're not saying that enough about church, but we'll get to that in a minute. Righteousness, this dimension, this level of life deals with how we relate to God. Romans 14, 17 tells us the kingdom of God is righteousness. And if you, if you want to know, and some of you do, some of you don't care at all, but if you want to know how you're doing, you have to start inspecting your own life. The Bible says examine yourselves. Now, that's a great teaching that is so quickly overlooked and little lived out. Most people who go to church don't examine themselves. They examine the preacher. They examine the deacons. They examine the works of the church. They examine the people in the church. I've told you for years, and I'm going to keep telling you, if you'd start examining your own life, you wouldn't have time to be judging me and everybody else. That's just free. That's good teaching. But people want to look at all these different levels for everyone else. If you want to know how you're doing on kingdom living, check out your own level of righteousness. Now, in in this verse, the context for this verse, righteousness is talking about living in right standing with God. Now, to gain right standing with God, you can't gain right standing with God by the way you live. You can't do enough good works to get God to accept you. The Bible says, by the keeping of the law shall no flesh be justified. You can't be made right with God by becoming a good person. That's where so many people mess up. They think, well, I'll go to church. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll quit doing some stuff, and I'll you know, t- you know, add a little bit of church to my life. That won't get you into heaven. We don't gain right standing with God by the works that we do. We gain right standing with God by faith. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The the way we get right standing with God in the overall scheme is by faith, by believing in God. Faith establishes us in righteousness. But that, that is what theologians call positional righteousness, the way God sees us. There's also a practical righteousness that is lived out from day to day. You get a choice. You get a choice. Everybody in this room that drove here today, you had a choice today whether or not to obey Scripture as you drove here. The Bible says for Christians to obey every ordinance of man. That's the law. Some of y'all, you know, because you were on your way to church and were late, you decided I'll speed. Some of y'all were early and sped anyhow just because it's your habit. You get a chance to choose your level of righteousness on a day-to-day basis basis and this is the way that you live out kingdom living kingdom living is righteousness now if you keep God's law because you love him and because you want to honor him that's Christianity if you keep God's laws because you want to dot the I's cross the T's and keep all the rules so you can rub it in people's faces well look at you and look at me I'm living right in that that's church that's religion and that's not kingdom living The righteousness that I'm talking about here, that the Bible is talking about, is right standing with God lived out on a day-to-day basis because you love him. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness 
and sin not. Now, if we had enough serious people in the room, I could just sit down on the edge of the stage right now and we could just stare at that until we all started crying and weeping, uh, got on the floor, repented, left all our money on the altar and went home. But that's not what people come to church for. Uh, they come for their own, own different reasons. But I want you to get the truth while you're here. Awake to righteousness. Now, I'm not going to teach all these verses because I'm trying to get somewhere today. But I do want to keep you mindful of reading with understanding. The Bible says with all you're getting, get understanding. And I want you to think when you read the Bible to understand it. Now, awake to righteousness, comma. You got to stop and think about that. Awake to righteousness. What, when, when God tells his people to awake to righteousness, what does that indicate is going on in God's people? They're asleep. They're asleep. They're not doing what God called us to do. So here's, here's what I want you to do. If you don't get anything out of this, get this. Wake up to how you're living. Because how you're living has consequences. The Bible says you can't mock God. You can't flaunt your lifestyle in God's face and not expect consequences. Many of you are, are reaping today the, the consequences of actions from months, if not years ago. If you want your future to be brighter, if you want your tomorrow to be better, start doing good things today because your life is going to follow this principle of sowing and reaping. It's going to come back on you the way you put it out there. What you plant is what you're going to harvest. So wake up to that reality and listen, sin not. Sin not. Now, not going to spend all, all morning on those two words, but there are denominations of people who have got together and teach this false doctrine of sinless perfection for the Christian. That when you fall in love with God, you'll stop sinning. Because a good tree can't bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bring forth good fruit, and whosoever born of God doth not commit sin. And they take these pieces of phrases out of an entire book and form a false theology around it that says Christians, real Christians, holiness Christians, don't sin. Well, that's retarded, and it's easily disproven by any mirror on the planet. Stand one of those people in front of a mirror and say, stare into that until you find somebody who's still sinning. And it won't take long. And I've told you before, as believers, I do not believe that we will ever reach this utopic state of sinless perfection that is being falsely taught in churches around the country. It was never designed for that. We're designed to fall down and get up. We're designed to, to stumble and Lean on God. We're designed to fail and then turn to God to help us succeed. I don't believe that we'll ever reach this sinless perfection. Jesus said that we have this earthen we have this this treasure in earthen vessels. We possess the Holy Spirit in a very natural, broken body. Jesus said, as long as you're in the flesh, you're going to have trouble. Uh, so I'm not talking about reaching a state where you don't sin. I don't believe in sinlessness for the Christian. I don't believe you're going to ever stop sinning. I don't believe you're going to become sinless. But I've told you many times, if you really love God, you ought to sin less. Did you get that? You ought to sin less. If you're still sinning as much as you used to sin, what makes you think that you've been changed? 
If you still live the same way you lived before your supposed Christianity, you need to understand you're not only a contradiction in terms, you're self-deceived. Because the Bible says if you're truly born again, that you become a new person and some things change and pass away and you become new. Now, if that's happened to you, you ought to be able to start living on these, these three dimensions of kingdom living, the first dimension being righteousness. Titus 2.12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, what's funny is I've heard preachers use this verse to preach against drinking. That word soberly isn't, has nothing to do with drunkenness. It's an old English word for clear thinking. Okay, to be sober-minded is to be clear of thought. And God tells us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Guess who has worldly lust? Let me say it, let me say it like I feel it. Everybody. Everybody has worldly lusts. Well, not me because I'm a Christian. If you really believe that, then your level of pride indicates to me you're not truly born again. Because born again people want to do better and feel bad when they do wrong, but at least they know they did wrong because they have a Holy Spirit living inside them that tells them they did wrong. Amen? So we all have this, this ungodly lifestyle and this worldly lust to deny some do and some don't. How you been doing this week denying your worldly lust? How you been doing this week denying your ungodliness? How are you doing this week living clear-headed, righteously, and godly in this present world? Now, see, this righteous word here, it's not talking about being made right with God by faith in Jesus for salvation. It's talking about righteous living from day to day. It's talking about in a very now, present tense situation. There's a righteousness that comes from God, and there's a righteousness that God commands us to live out from day to day. And that's the first dimension of the kingdom of God. Our text says the kingdom of God is righteousness. Now, remember, we, we're a Bible teaching church. Uh, when people ask, well, what kind of denomination is it? Bible teaching. We are not a non-denominational church. If anything, we're a multi-denominational church. We've got Presbyterians, former Catholics, former Baptists, Church of God, Church of God by faith, Church of God on Sunday morning, Church of God by the side of the river, in Jesus' name only, according to a bishop, apostle, a founder, an evangelist, Bobo. We've got people from every different denominational background there possibly is, but we're a Bible-teaching church, and the, the, the Bible tells us that uh, there are certain, or we've learned from studying the Bible, there are certain principles that will help you to understand it better. So we talk a lot about biblical principles and hermeneutics especially if you come on Wednesday night, and many of you should start coming on Wednesday night. Uh, studying the Bible together is fantastic, and you ought to come out. Well, it's hard enough to get here on Sunday. Oh, yeah, it's hard to get in those air-conditioned cars, or, or even if they don't have air-conditioned, they got wheels that roll and, and get you here. It's hard to sit in an air-conditioned building on soft chairs. I get it. But you ought to come and learn some of these principles to understanding the Bible. Hermeneutics is the art and science of properly interpreting Scripture and some hermeneutical principles that we've learned, one of them is the law of priority listing. And I always use the same example when I teach the law of priority listing. It, it's because uh, we still see it today in our food. If you look on the, back of a, on the back of a bag of jelly beans, 
in the ingredient list, the first ingredient is guess what? Sugar. Not shocking. Uh, if you put one in your mouth and bite it, you're going to know because you're going to feel those grains of sugar on your tongue. The, the reason they put that there is because it has priority over the other ingredients. We see every, uh, in most lists, not every list in the Bible, but most lists, we see this principle being taught out. One of the easiest places to find it is in the Gospels when the Bible lists the names of the 12 apostles. The first four are always the first four, and the last four are always the last four. In every list, every place the Bible uh, talks about these 12 men, the first four are always the first four. Why are they the first four? Because they have priority over the rest of them. They, they were part of what is called the inner circle of Christ. So not every time when you see a list of things in the Bible, but most times the first thing is the most important thing. Say first thing. Well, of these three dimensions of living, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, which is the first thing? Righteousness. If you can't get this right, you're out of gas. You, you're trying to live on, on, you say, well, I don't know if I can make all three dimensions of living, but I'm going to make a one and a half. I'll be a one and a half dimension Christian. No, you got to get first things first, and we've got to learn how to live clear-headed, righteous, and godly. Look, in this present world. Now, I'm trying not to focus on all these different phrases that are so packed with truth, but I want to tell you something. Those last four words in this verse, in this present world, take out all your excuses. Take out all your excuses. Well, how am I supposed to have peace of mind with Donald Trump as my president? I can't get behind Orange, and I just believe with Maxine. Impeach 45, impeach 45. Then, then you got people saying, well, how am I supposed to live at peace in this world? Joe Biden just abandoned 50,000 Americans in Afghanistan and left behind $20 million worth of weaponry and automobiles. The keys in all of it, by the way, all of it, just left it there. Uh, I, told, I told my son, Seth and I were on the couch last night. I showed him a picture, and it's ought to cut you hard, Junior, right here. I, show, I showed him a picture, one of the most iconic World War II pictures in the history of art is when six Marines planted the United States flag at Iwo Jima. You've seen that picture whether you know you've seen it or not. If you've been alive more than 20 years on this planet, you've seen that picture. Well, guess what the Afghans did uh, or the Taliban did last week? They took six of those American uniforms and six of those American uh, rifles and they took an Afghan flag and they posed for the exact identical picture of Americans planting a flag at Iwo Jima and these these haters of our country and these haters of freedom, they, they took the uniform that stands for freedom and they mocked us wearing our own uniforms and our own rifles. Planting a flag, trying to look like, and I, and I told Seth, I said, that, that'd make a 50-year-old uh, former soldier. I said, I can't even imagine. Every Marine uh, pr probably wants to fly over there right now and, and, and slap the taste out of those people's mouth that, that are mocking uh, six great Marines at Iwo Jima. And, and you, so you might be thinking, well, how, how, how can I have peace in my mind uh, when, when they, they are, listen, raping American women over there that, that didn't get on a plane and get out yet. Uh, but 
you, you can come up with a way. How, how can I have peace of mind in a system that still uh, systemically oppresses black and brown people? How, how can, you can come up with anything you want to come up with and, and blame this present world for why you can't live clear-headed, righteous, and godly, but God already took the bullets out of your gun. You got no ammunition to shoot holes in this speech because he said you got to do this in this present world. The world you live in. Well, how am I supposed to have peace of mind? My wife died. She was 36 years old, left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. You're like, Pastor, you still whining about that? Uh, it, it, it happened 15 years ago. Sometimes it ha- feels like a million years ago, and sometimes it feels like yesterday. Am I right or wrong? That's how grief feels. And, and you can have any excuse you want to have for, well, the only reason I ain't live right, live right, be right, serve right, do right, give right, act right. The only reason I'm not living all these different things God told me to is because you don't know what I've been through. Well, what God say? In this present, in your reality, in the present world that you occupy, God still commands us to live righteously. And if you want kingdom living, it starts with living right. Followers of Christ are called to live holy lives. And I want to tell you something. Holiness is not a bad word. I'm, 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 I'm going to try to help some of y'all. Because if you ever really start living holy, some hater is going to say, Oh, look at, look at little Miss Ho. Oh, she's just holier than thou. I can't stand her always acting holier than thou. I tell them all the same thing. She's not acting holier. Than, you're not mad because she's acting holier than thou. You're just mad because you know she's holier than you. And, and what, mo, mo, what most people call legalism, God calls righteousness. And there's this movement of, of grace, and it's a false movement that says you can do anything you want to do, and everything will still turn out right. No, there's consequences to life. And I want to encourage you, if you're saved at all, start living better than you've been living because kingdom living is three-dimensional. And the first dimension is righteousness, and God has called his children to holiness. They started a denomination. There was such a lack of holiness in the American church that 100 years ago, a bunch of hillbillies got together and said, we need to start us a holiness movement. Uh, And then they got it all twisted, and you can see them. I mean, these people, hair to the floor, dresses to the floor, and no makeup. Listen, that's not a good look. I mean, uh, that's just that, uh, I just believe what the one preacher said. Even old barn looked good with a fresh coat of paint on it. Don't, don't get involved in, th- that's all outward stuff. And even the one group, the one denomination in American history that decided to make their focus holiness got it wrong. Why? Because inside this flesh, we don't want to be holy. We want to do what we want to do, say what we want to say, dance how we want to dance, play how we want to play. But God has called us to holiness, and it's out of fashion. And it's out of style, and it's not popular, and people don't love to hear about it. And you can't grow a large church preaching holiness, but in heaven, when they gather around the throne of God, they don't sing prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. They don't cry out healing, healing, healing. They don't cry out empowerment for me today. They look at a holy God and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God's name is holiness. The Bible says his name is holy. And we got to learn that if you want to be who God wants you to be, listen, you're going to have to cut out that foolishness. That ain't easy, and it ain't popular, 
And I know you want to hear five keys to putting more money in your bank account. Get a book. I can solve half your money problems right now. Quit, quit, quit buying junk and start tithing. And watch God bless you living. Let's get on with this so we can get out of here. The second dimension is peace. Say peace. I told you the first dimension, righteousness, that, that's the dimension that, we, that deals with how we relate to God. Uh, the second dimension deals with how we relate to people. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. And the second dimension is peace. So Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is peace. Now, if you want to know if you're really walking on this kingdom level, if you want to know if you got both feet in the kingdom, because I told you, the kingdom of God is anywhere where the king is ruling and reigning. We looked at that last week. Kingdom living is about people uh, living under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your house can be the kingdom. Your car can be the kingdom. Your workplace can be the kingdom. Uh, anywhere you go can be the kingdom if you are being subject to the king. And if you want to know if you really got both feet in the kingdom, check out your level of peace. We have got less peace uh, historically documented Read about different generations in America. Now, some of history ha has, has, has been whitewashed. Some of history has, has been, you know, written in a way that, that isn't always exactly the truth. But historically, you can see across the spectrum that this generation has less peace than any other generation in American history, in world history. We've got more creature comforts than any group of people ever had in life. Now, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bad on women because, uh, listen, women ain't the only people that wash clothes. There ain't no women washing clothes in my house. Everybody washing clothes in my house is a man or trying to be a one man and one trying to be a man. Um, but it, it's so, we, we talk about, oh, man, what, ask somebody, what you been doing today? Oh, man, I've just been breaking my back, man. I've been washing clothes all day long. Well, bless your heart. You mean you actually bent, bent at the knees? And, and, and picked up the towel and laid it in the machine that does the washing for you. There, there's some people in here. Now, I don't think there's anybody in here that actually, well, there's a couple of people old enough to have lived in that day. But there are people who remember, Mama used to wash clothes. Anybody? Mama, Mama used to bend over and wash. Do you know in most countries in the world today, when they say we're washing clothes, they're really washing clothes? They're washing them out. Listen, we've got it so easy. We, we've got machines that people buy to make noise beside their bed so they can fall asleep. Think about, do you think grandmama and granddaddy needed to hear ocean noises to fall asleep? They were so exhausted by the end of the day, if, if they made it to bed, they may or may not got their shoes kicked off before they fell asleep. We've got every comfort in the world. Uh, what what, what, what y'all going to do now? Are we just going to sit around and watch TV? Oh, you mean one of those 800 channels that you've got to choose from? I mean, we, we've got thousands. Uh, you, you, want, you don't even have to go buy a record. When, when I was a kid, you used to have to go to Coconut Records and Tapes on Atlantic Boulevard just to get some vinyl. Now you just punch up on a machine. I don't know how all these people, they say YouTube's paying them. You know, you could, you could punch up on YouTube any song you want and just get it right there, live and in action. We've got life so easy, but with all this ease, there's never been a, a bigger group of people seeking medication to get peace in their mind. 
Never been more people medicating themselves to be able to get a, a good night's sleep. Never been more people seeking therapy to just to be able to quiet the noise in their head. We've got everything in the world but peace. And, and the Bible says this second dimension is peace. And it primarily relates to how we deal with other people. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith we may edify another. Now, what this is saying is you got to live this life pursuing things that will bring peace in your life, and those things are almost always tied to helping someone else. If you ever went on a mission trip, if you ever went to a nursing home, if you ever went to sit with an elderly person, if you ever went outside your comfort zone and went to minister to someone, everyone comes back from mission trips with the exact same speech. We thought we went there to help them. But that, I feel like they did more for me. Some of y'all know, if you ever did anything like this, you, you, you walked away saying, I think they encouraged me more than I encouraged them. I think they were more of a blessing to me than I was to them. Peace is connected to how you edify. That word means to build up, to strengthen, to help make better somebody else. What are you doing with your life to help somebody else? Now, we make it easy in church life. You can, you can get on, you can become an usher. You, you want to you become an usher? Uh, put, write it down on a card. Put it in the, in the offering bucket. Uh, tell, say it on the back of the card in the comment section. Call the church office. You, you can help all of us get the offering collected. You, you want to help somebody? You, let somebody know you want to be a greeter. You can stand at the door. You can help work in the parking lot. You, there's things you can do to help make some. Well, I'm busy. Doing what? Washing clothes? No, the machine's washing the clothes. Washing dishes? Got a machine for that too. Driving back and forth to all your appointments? Think about driving. Have you ever just thought about driving? Man, we got it so easy. They say Jesus never traveled more than 70 miles away from his home in his whole life. So, so, some people travel 70 miles today. Could, could you? So people get in a car and drive to Atlanta like it's nothing. That's a, could you imagine if you had to start walking, how busy you would be? Well, we can't make it back to church on Sunday night because, you know, that's just, a, that's just a long way. What if you had to walk? When, uh, when, when, the, when the church in Korea, I, I forget the name of it, but the church in Korea had the largest church in the world at one point. And the average person, and, and it was on top of a hill. And, and everybody walked there because they don't have vehicles. And the average person's walk was over five miles. <laughs> Could you imagine getting up on a Sunday morning and walking five miles? It, it, it would change how much clothes you wear, I promise you. Still couldn't come naked. But are you willing to complicate your life to make someone's life better? The answer is no for most people. And we see that every first Sunday night of the month when, when we come together and we pray. We pray for our church. We pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for our world. And most people don't come to prayer night because, well, they're busy. And I get it. And that's why I say come when you can. Pray for us when you can. I don't expect anybody to be here every service we have. But I tell you what, if you want to start having peace in your mind, start doing something that helps somebody else.
Get yourself off the throne of your own life. Start living right with God and start helping someone else. Mark 9.50 tells us that we need to have peace with one another. There's so much infighting in the average family. We don't even have to break it down to church. We can just break it down to the average family. Most people have somebody in their family, crazy Uncle Willie, uh, Psycho Sally, somebody in your family is just a total train wreck, and they try to suck the peace out of your life. I don't want you to raise your hand if you agree with me because some of y'all sit next to them. Don't tell that story. But God commands us to be at peace with each other. I want to tell you something. That is not an easy command to keep. But here's the reality. God didn't give us the right to pick and choose which commands we would keep. He told us we, we could follow him and obey him and be blessed or we could disobey him and be cursed. And God commands us to be at peace with each other. John 14, 27 Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, if you started working hard to make other people's lives better, you'd quit being so scared about your own life and your own future. You'd be so excited about knowing that you were doing something for the greater good. And some of y'all have not yet realized the importance of purpose. You haven't yet realized the importance of purpose of being connected to something bigger than yourself. Because if you only live for you and yours, that's a sad existence. But if you start living life on a kingdom level and you start taking on responsibilities to help be a part of something bigger than you that's going to outlast you, that came before you, then you're going to start understanding purpose. Romans 8, 6 tells us to be spiritually, that being spiritually minded is life and peace. If you want more peace, you got to get more spiritually minded. Romans 12, 18 commands us to live peaceably with all men. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a lot in the Bible about peace. Let me ask you this. Why don't most Christians have it? Because mm. we're focusing on the wrong stuff. Because we're not living life on a kingdom level. We're living life on a natural level. We put more priority in what doctors tell us than in what God tells us. We put more priority in what's on the news channel than what's on the, on, on the pages of this book. We don't live on a kingdom level. And I'm trying to get you to understand that living on a kingdom level is your choice. If you're saved, you can either live natural or you can live kingdom. The third dimension is joy in the Holy Ghost. Say joy. Now, this dimension deals with how we relate to ourselves. So these three dimensions, we've got how you relate to God, how you relate to people, and now we look at how we deal with ourselves. If, if you want to know if you're walking both feet in the kingdom, check out your level of joy. See, because the joy that you have can't really be stolen by other people. Your happiness can, but your joy can't. Happiness changes from circumstance. Happiness is up and down. There's good days, sad days, happy, good days, bad days, sad days, happy days, and sad days. The, that, that fluctuates on circumstance. But there is a joy on the inside that, listen, most people will never live it, even if they heard the song when they were kids uh, out of the verse. I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in. Y'all don't remember that song? Y'all didn't go to good churches growing up. Listen. Most Christians don't even have a concept of what this peace is that God is talking about. It's an 
a non-understandable peace. It's a peace that doesn't make sense to people around you, but it's a peace that you can have if you will start living life on a kingdom level. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How much joy do you have? Our lives should exude a joy that is so otherworldly that people scratch their heads when they look at you. How is she still standing? How is he still going on? How did they endure that? And, and they get up and they face every day. Because there's a joy on the inside of the believer that you can tap into. And let me tell you something. If you're not living it, it's because you're choosing to hold on to your situation over your Savior. You didn't hear me. If you're not living this kingdom joy in your life, it's because you are making a conscious choice to hold on to your situation more than your Savior. You, 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 and I, I'm guilty of doing it in my own life. You, if you be honest, you are too. And we have got to let go of everything, free our hands so that we can grab hold of God. And then you can start living this joy. Psalm 1611, come on, Victor. Psalm 1611 says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. In, thy, in God's presence is fullness of joy. Last teachy thing I want to throw at you because I want you to think with me. God says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Well, what happens if you're not living your life in his presence, Bible people? You don't have fullness of joy. This is your choice. This is your choice. Well, life's just beat me down, preacher. I've been through so much hurt. I've been through so much pain. I feel you. I have too. But I know in his presence is fullness of joy. I know when if I'll just turn off the TV, shut off the radio, unplug my phone, and just spend time with God, there is joy in the Lord for the believer. And this is what kingdom living is all about. This dimension deals with yourself. Habakkuk 3.18 says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I don't know why everybody doesn't feel this the way I feel it, but I know I feel it every day of my life. And I know it makes sense to me. And it's so real to me. When I tell you this, it's not a cliche for me. I mean it with all my heart you, so many people are sitting there wondering when God's going to come through for them when God's going to fix their deal I don't have those thoughts in my mind I deal with my own thoughts I don't deal with those thoughts because I am fully committed that what God did for me on Calvary is enough if he never does anything beyond saving me that's enough. It's more than I could have asked for. And it's more than I deserve. Well, why didn't my wife live? Why didn't this happen? Why, why didn't I? Listen, God's salvation. You ought to be able to rejoice in the God who saved you because the reality is whatever you've been through that was painful cannot compare to eternity in hell. He did enough on Calvary. And if you really want joy, you got to lock in to the God who saved you. Not just the God who's up there somewhere that you think about. No, the God who saved you. The God who the Bible declares shed his own blood so that you could have your sins forgiven. The God who stripped himself of his deity and lived on this planet was rejected and despised by people. And he did all of that so that we could be right with God. Oh, there ought to be a joy that comes over you no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through that says, yeah, it hurts. 
and I don't understand it. And I can't stop the tears from coming out of my eyes. But I know deep in my knower that the God that saved me loves me and he's got a place for me. You got to tap into that joy. You can't do it holding on to your situation though. You can't do it holding on to your sin. You can't do it holding on to yourself. Grief is a selfish act. And I've lived plenty of it in my own life. I'm not telling you what I've heard. I'm telling you what I know. It's a selfish act. And it keeps us bound. And it keeps us tied down. And it prevents us from tapping in to, to the joy in, that we find in the God who saved us. 1 John 1, 4 says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Oh, we need more joy. Every one of us need more joy. That's why I've been telling y'all lately, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. You come to church, that this, is, this is called a sanctuary. That, 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 that's a safe place, free from the harms of the outside world. You ought to be at peace in your mind when you gather in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing he promised to be here with us. You, there ought to be a joy that floods your heart. And I'm telling you, if we could all start having joy, if we could start tapping into kingdom living and having joy in our lives, hey, y'all stop doing that. Look, look, the only person that should be talking right now is me. Shouldn't nobody be flicking each other in the head, swinging punches. Hey, look at me right now. I'm not trying to grow a big church. I'm trying to answer to a holy God that calls me into account for all of my oversight to this church. People can say, Pastor, you do so many things that are anti-big growth. A lot of that's on design. I'm not concerned with how many people show up. But I'm concerned with the ones who do show up. And I want us to understand that God is real and that God is holy and that God loves us so much that he sent his son to the cross to die for us. No matter how rebellious we are, no matter how hard-hearted we are, no matter what we've done, the Bible says that God will save anyone who will call on him. And we got to get more serious about our view of God. Well, I don't believe it takes all that. Oh, it takes more than that. It takes the supernatural presence of God to break through the hard heart of the unbeliever. I had my mom on the phone last night. She asked me a question. She said, because well, I said something about something, and she said, well, where was all that when you was a kid putting me through hell? I said, well, Mom, I was young and unsaved then, and I didn't know the Lord. And I'm so thankful that God changed my life. And I want to tell you, everyone in this room and everyone in the world, 
God can save anyone. If you'll choose him, he will come and he will make you new. I was a broken kid. I was, I, I, I never had a question in my mind whether or not I was going to heaven. I knew I wasn't going to heaven. I knew I was unsaved. I knew that my life wasn't right with God. I never knew how great life could be until July 15, 1981, when as an unsaved teenager, I asked God to forgive me of my sins and take away my evil and make me a new person. And I'm still not perfect. 41 years later, I'm still not a perfect man. But he changed my life and he made me a better man. And it's my prayer for you and you and you and you and you and everybody in the world to become a better person through God. Not through changing habits, but through God. Not, not through turning over a new leaf, but by yielding your life to the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want us to live on a kingdom level. I want us to get to the place where we come in here, we are just, we're, we're just gathering together to celebrate what we've been experiencing all week long. If you've been experiencing righteousness and peace and joy all week long, when we all come together and we're all filled with the joy of the Lord, that is going to be an exciting day. That's going to be church as God intended it. But it starts with you. You can't, see, here, here, here's the trick of the devil. He wants you to concentrate on hoping somebody else will change. The reality is we need to see the change in us first. We need to give people a reason to believe that God is the answer. And I promise you, he's the answer. Do you believe he's the answer today, anybody? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray you'd help us to live a kingdom life. Help us to choose righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. God, I pray for every person in this room who's unsaved. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm them with uh, their, their, a sense of their need for salvation and show your love to each of us, God. Lord, I pray for every saved person in this room, God, that we would choose to get out of our own way and start living life on these levels of righteousness, peace, and joy. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your spirit that lives inside us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you more than we ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.